time he traveled along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone who wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever wants to save his life, but lose it, <clears throat> but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can, give, what can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whosoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Thank you, Rick. Let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we've sung these songs of worship, our, our hearts are filled with, with wonder and awe, with, with joy at your goodness. As we've reflected on your character throughout these, these words, Lord, we, we just humbly come before you to express our worship. And thank you, God, that you, you're a God who wants to be near to us. You're a God who, who, has, who has called us to yourself and embraced us with your love. I pray, God, that as we, as we consider the words of Jesus this morning, that we would hear them in that context a God who longs for our very best, a, long, a God who, who longs for our joy to be found in him. I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts. May we have ears to hear what you long to say to us this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, I, I, I want to invite you to turn to that passage in Mark chapter 8 as we hear these words of Jesus We've been talking the last few weeks now, I think this is our sixth week, as we've reflected on and considered the hard sayings of Jesus, and some of those more challenging things that Jesus has called his people to, and, and some of them have been very in your face, some of them have been a little bit uncomfortable in, um, in challenging our thinking and, and causing us to, to step back and say, wow, it, Am I a follower of Christ? Am I taking his words seriously when he speaks? Am I listening to what he has to say? And these words here this morning are uh, no different. They're no less challenging to us as, as we hear these words. You know, sometimes when, you know, there are things that we, we just skim over in Scripture, and we've been saying that a little bit, but, I, you know, all of us have had that that time where, you know, we're installing some software on our computer, we've got an update, and it has this agreement that we've got to agree to, and it's like this, all this, you know, pages of technical information, and we just skim right past, and we say, sure, yeah, yeah, whatever, and we agree to it, and we move on, and sometimes that's a little bit how it is with Scripture. We'll read past these words, and we'll say, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever, Jesus, and we, we move on to the next thing, but let's stop and just linger over this Again, as, as, as Rick read for us this morning, what we hear Jesus saying is to take up our cross. He, he says, as he called the crowd along with his disciples. So he, he's got a gathering here. It's not just his immediate followers. But verse 34 tells us that, that there's a crowd there as well. So others who are maybe undecided, maybe some who are hostile towards him. There's a lot of curious onlookers. And he says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
The the radical nature of Jesus' words maybe are a little bit lost on us because perhaps if you've grown up in church, you've you've heard these words before. They're they're familiar to you. But what Jesus was saying was, was not the way to necessarily what we would think of as like accumulating a following here. He wasn't just trying to say what appeased the masses and get them to to sign up. He wasn't just trying to, this wasn't a get-rich-quick scheme. This wasn't a, let's see how many followers I can accumulate in the shortest amount of time. He, He called them in some of the most unorthodox ways. One writer says, in this passage, Jesus says two things. I'm a king, but I'm a king going to a cross. And if you want to follow me, You've got to come to the cross also. And so he, he gives three conditions here right off the bat, and they're all in the imperative. And the first one he's going to mention, and if you're taking notes, we, we see him call us to a denial of self. Let him deny himself. It's not an, an option. It's in the imperative. Let him deny himself. He does not ask disciples to deny something to themselves, but to deny the self and all of their self-promoting ambitions. Discipleship is not sort of a part-time job, not something we just do on the weekends or in the summers. Discipleship and following after Jesus is an all-in endeavor. And, and, and God refuses to accept a minor role in our life. As our King, as our Lord, and as our Savior, Jesus calls us to say, not my will, but thine be done. This will mean at times saying no to impulses, to dreams, to my agenda. It's not asking what I want to do, what I think is best for my life, how I want it to unfold. I didn't really plan this message to coincide with graduation Sunday, but it worked out that way. And this is an important reminder, whether you're a young person or whether you've got some years under your belt, this is a great time for us to stop and remember that that Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, not say, what do I want to do, what's best for me, but what is best for Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who stood up against Hitler during the Nazi regime, once said, to deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is, he leads the way, keep close to him. I wonder this morning, is God setting the agenda for your life? Or is it your plans, your priorities, your agenda that's, that's taking control? He says, if we're to follow him, we need to be willing to deny ourselves. The second thought here that stood out to me in this text, and I, I wrote it down this way, is that, that a follower of Christ, first of all, he, he's one who, who has a denial of self. And the second one is he takes a cross on his shoulders. Takes a cross on his shoulders. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The the cross, this command, brought forth a picture that would have immediately churned stomachs. 
Because no one ever willingly grabbed a cross in Jesus' day. This is an image of extreme repugnance. One writer says the cross was an instrument of cruelty, of pain, of dehumanization and shame, a torture. It symbolized the hated Roman oppression and was reserved for the lowest social classes and the vilest of criminals. It was the most visible and omnipresent aspect of Romans, Rome's terror apparatus designed especially to punish criminals and to quash slave rebellions. And here is this rabbi, this teacher who has claimed to be God, who's accumulating a following, and he says, if you want to follow me, take this cross upon you. Immediately, word pictures and images would have flooded the minds of the hearers. Because someone going through the streets with a cross on their back would have sent an unmistakable message. I am going to die. I am leaving this life behind. Jesus was calling his disciples to, through their lifestyle, to take this cross and say, I'm, I'm leaving this behind. Whatever this entails, certainly it entails my sin, my, my pursuit of self, my pursuit of worldly ambition and the, the stuff that the world offers. But I think for each of us, it's going to look a little bit differently. What does it mean to walk away from the stuff that Jesus calls us to walk away from. For some of us here this morning, it could be just like the Pachecos, that God is calling us away from, from our country to take the gospel somewhere else. It could be that God is calling us even away from the, the safety and comfort of our job or our position of our city and going somewhere else. One of, the, one of the coolest things, some of you know this story, but uh, we mentioned here that at the end of the second service, we're going to be stacking up the chairs, and on, I believe it's on Tuesday, uh, a group of Mennonites are going to come, and they're going to take the, the chairs and the, the pews. We're donating that to them, because there's a group of, uh, there, there's a Mennonite church here in town, and, and, and when they started the church, they said, we're only going to get so big, and once we reach this number of people, we're sending people out to go start another church somewhere. So my understanding is there's about 10 families from the Clare area that, that have, some of them have sold businesses, lucrative businesses. Uh, they're quitting jobs and they're moving over to the Owasso area to start this church. They've lived here, they've built their lives here and they said, you know what? We're gonna go and we're believe, we believe God's calling us to go take the gospel to somewhere where we think he's calling us to. And they're leaving things behind, things that are hard to leave behind. Like God's not just calling us to, to leave like non-costly things behind. Like he's not just saying like, I, I want you to give up exercise, Jeremiah, and follow me. Like, all right, thank you, Jesus, for that call. I thought that's the way you were heading me and I... I Thank you for that confirmation. He's not just calling us to, to leave things temporarily. He's, he's calling us to completely, radically reorient our way of thinking. Everything we take through this, this lens of life is, how can I glorify the name of God through this? And that completely shapes how we... And, and, and I'm not saying things that we haven't already touched on throughout these last five weeks. 
How does it change how we view our money, our possessions, our time, our relationships? Everything changes when we follow Jesus and we're willing to take his cross. The cross means sacrifice. The cross is going to mean rejection. When, when we take upon the cross of Jesus, there will be people who will mock. There will be people, even people that love us, that say, Are you really sure? This is kind of crazy. You're going to give that up for Jesus? Surely he wouldn't ask you to give that up. The cross means taking risks. The cross means being hurt. The cross means giving up ease and comfort and being willing to go wherever Jesus leads you. And this is really important because we have a we just have a natural bacon in tendency to assume that what we want to do is what Jesus is calling us to do. You know what I mean? We, we, we sort of figure out like, okay, this is what I really, really want. And then we find a way of putting a spiritual twist on it and, and, and wrapping it up and saying, uh, well, yeah, this is, this is Jesus' is calling on my life. If, if we're never uncomfortable, if we're never, um, we don't ever have to exercise faith. We don't ever have to take risk. We don't ever have anybody looking at us like we're a little bit nuts. We're probably just repackaging our own whims and wishes and desires and putting a spiritual bow on it and saying, this is what I've been called to. Does this take prayer? Yes, it does. Does this take seeking our, our Savior on our knees before Him and saying, God, whatever it is that you've called me to, just like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, here I am, Lord, send me. What is it? What, what are you asking of me? It's interesting when you read the Gospels and, and, then, and then follow the, the history of the early church, it truly does look different for everybody. There were those who, who sold all their stuff and they hit the road. Guys like Paul and Barnabas and Silas who went on the missionary journey. And then there were some who stayed back who were called to, to help support them and give generously and, and to continue staying in their spheres of influence so they could radically reach others for Christ. It is going to look differently for everybody. I remember my wife and I, when we went through Bible college and we were getting ready to live for the, leave for the mission field, I sort of had this mentality that, that and I mean, I was, I was 20, 21 at the time too, so that was part of it, but I sort of had this mentality, man, like every, every Christian that's not going somewhere, like physically leaving and going to the nations, going to the unreached, they're in disobedience to God. And, and, and certainly that's, that's not true. But there are many of us who are in disobedience to God because we're not willing to give up whatever it is that is so important to us. Jesus said if we're not willing to, to hate even our family members, to, to hate our own life, to be willing, if we're holding on to that too tightly, we can't be his disciples. And so he says, he has these three imperatives. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Being a disciple means choosing the way that Jesus has chosen, not the way we would be inclined to if it were up to us. Notice the discipleship is not just about giving things up, but it's about following Jesus. 
It could be easy to read this passage and hear like, okay, this is what... This is what I've got to forsake. This is what I've got to turn away from. And, and that's, Jesus is just calling me to leave things behind. But notice that, he's, that the command is to follow him, to be with him. Radical obedience to Christ, David Platt says, is not easy. It's not comfort, it's not health, it's not wealth, and not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things, but in the end, such risk finds its reward in Christ, and he is more than enough for us. There's something also that we need to remember about following after Christ, is that it's not just um, him up there ahead of us, and we're just trying to race to catch up. My, my wife will tell stories, Remember, she remembers a little girl going to... Um, uh, San Diego Padres baseball games, and it's when they were at their old Jack Murphy Stadium, and her dad despised paying for parking. It was like his thing, like, I refuse to pay for parking. And so she said he would park, like, what seemed like miles away just to have to, just to be able to get out of parking. And she remembers, like, like, like his, you know, long legs, you know, hurry into the game and trying to get to the game before the first pitch. And just as a little kid trying to keep up as they're running through the, the weeds and having to cross the San Diego River down there and get, get across to the, to the fields. Like, that's not us just trying to keep up with Jesus. Because what we see as we look at the, the whole picture of the New Testament, especially Paul's writings, is that Jesus has said, uh, is, is all of this, that I'm with you, and that he dwells in us through the Holy Spirit, and we're in him, we're united to Christ. Uh, Romans 6 talks about this, as well as a number of other places. And, and so it's not just us trying to catch up to Jesus, or us just trying to follow his example. It's us living life in sync with him. It's, it's us walking with him by his strength and his power. The third thing I want you to know about being a disciple is it's a life given over to God. It's a life given to God. What Jesus says here in verses 35 and following is this. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Now, like I said last week, this is math that doesn't really add up. This is math that doesn't compute. Because the idea in our minds is if we save something, if we hold on to it closely, I, I am not, I'm not going to lose it. I, I'm obsessive about um, chapstick. I, it doesn't matter what time of the year it is. My lips always feel dry and chapped. And I get kind of neurotic, like if I can't feel that chapstick in my pocket. It's sort of like a little safety blanket. But like I make sure that like... like you know, if, if I'm going to wash my, my pair of pants, I got a place that I, I put the chapstick so it'll be there in the morning so that I can put it in my clean pair of pants the next morning. And if, and if it's not there, I, I freak out a little bit. Like, I, I, I want to have this with me. Uh, and the idea is, is if, if I know exactly where it is, well, then I'll have it. I'll have it when I need it. It's there. It's, I'm holding on to it. I'm keeping watch over it. I'm protecting it. <laughs> and it's there when I need it. But Jesus said following him is the opposite, that the, heart, the, the more tightly you hold on to your own life, the more that you want to stay in control, the more that you want say over it, the more you're going to lose it. 
the harder you hold on to your life, the slipperier it gets. Jesus' math is whoever loses his life because of me, whoever says, I'm willing to do whatever, for me and the gospel, that's the person that will save it. And he goes on to say in verse 36, what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? Verse 36 is, is, a, is, a, is a tremendous wake-up call. Could you imagine? I mean, Jesus uses this sort of unimaginable idea. What happens if you gain the entire world? You get everything. Yesterday, my family and I, we have my, my nephew's visiting from San Diego, and we're, we're trying to do some fun, fun Michigan things. He hasn't really you know, been here much, and so we're, we're just kind of... We had the idea of going down to Greenfield Village. I don't, know if, I, I don't know if I'd ever been there. If I was, I was really little and I didn't remember anything. And so yesterday we went around and we walked around and, and it was fascinating. I mean, I love history, but I'm, I'm walking around and seeing all of these amazing historical buildings that Henry Ford had the forethought to bring to this one place. And all of these, these amazing things, these, these beautiful old homes and these incredible buildings. And, and I just was reflecting on some of the different people that would have lived here and the different, different accomplishments they had in life. And even, even Ford himself, you know, the inventions and the, and the resources that he had. And, and I imagine like all that, all that he was able to do. And, and uh, we walked through the, the Wright Brothers bicycle shop that they have there. And you think, wow, what, what, what notoriety. I mean, can you believe being credited with, with uh, the, the invention of, 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 the, of the airplane, of being able to successfully fly? Like what, what, what accolades you would have received. So I'm seeing things about, about famous people. I'm seeing people who had incredible wealth, people who contributed to arts and sciences in ways that literally changed our world. Edison's workshop. I mean, the kinds of inventions that Thomas Edison uh, was able to perfect or improve on were, have, have literally changed our lives here today. You think about all of these accolades, all of these accomplishments, all of these resources you could have. And I just got to thinking here, if what Jesus says, you could have the entire world. Imagine gaining the, the whole world, all the money you want, all the stuff you want, the cool cars that we saw yesterday, the, 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 the notoriety, the fame, being, having your name in history books. He says, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet still lose your soul, lose your very life? We can get so caught up into acquiring these sorts of things that it's possible to miss the point and actually lose what's most important. What does it benefit someone To gain the whole world and, let, and yet lose his or her life. I want to ask you this morning to prayerfully search your heart and ask God, God, have I been pursuing the wrong things? Have I been trying to, have I been fretting about and worrying about 
the wrong things? And that's a great litmus test right there. What is it that you worry about? What is it that you find yourself that, that, that keeps you awake at night? What is it that occupies your thoughts right before you're going to bed or when you first wake up in the morning? That may give you an indication about what's most important to you, what you value and treasure the most. And genuinely go before God and saying, God, are you asking me to, to put this on the altar? Or you've given me this gift. Am I doing with it what I'm supposed to be doing? Be prepared if you're genuinely praying that. Be prepared to have God do some hard things on your heart. But it's hard in a good way. You see, what we've been saying all throughout this series the last few weeks is that every single thing that Jesus calls us to is for our very best. There is nothing that he's asking us to do where he's just trying to be a jerk or a bully or saying, I just want to see how miserable I can make you to see if you're really serious about me. If we begin to think about God like that, we get a, we get a wrong picture of God. God is the perfect father and everything he calls us to, it's because he loves us. It's because he knows something we don't. And he knows that by giving this really seemingly important thing up, we're gaining something far more precious, far more valuable, of far greater worth. Jesus says, no matter how hard we work, no matter what we achieve, no matter what we pursue in this world, if it's not done for his glory, if it's not done for his honor, if it's not done for in our pursuit of him, it will never bring meaning and fulfillment. But even more importantly, it will mean the loss of our soul. As you're listening to this, you know, you know that this is countercultural. You, you know this isn't a normal way of thinking by, by the standards of the world around us. I think of even songs that have been written Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way, or listen to these words from Billy Joel's song, My Life. I don't need you to worry for me because I'm all right. I don't want you to tell me it's time to come home. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. Some of us may be even thinking of that as we hear the words of Jesus. That's fine, but just leave me alone with this stuff. I want to live my life the way that I want. Compare those with the words of Jim Elliott, the missionary to Ecuador, who said, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life, and may I burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. What does it benefit? What does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? The church father Augustine once said, Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. 
So lastly, that brings us to the sobering conclusion here. As Jesus says, a follower of him has a heart that's unashamed. And verse 38 tells us, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in, his glory, in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. What a sobering reminder that if, that if Jesus is not valued and treasured by us, if we're ashamed of him, if we're, if we're, we're, we're just we're going to say, that's, that's not worth it, or, or, or that's too much. I don't, want, I don't want that. We're told that the Son of Man will be ashamed of him at his coming. After hearing all this, we might be asking ourselves, is it really worth it? All this self-denial, this sacrifice, this giving up my rights, is it worth it? Can I just do what I want throughout my life and then in the end believe? That sounds more fun. I can have both. I can, I can have it my way and then I can just throw up a prayer at the end and say, sorry about doing it my way, God. Uh, I, I trust in Jesus. Here's the thing. Jesus himself proved that it was worth it. His success wasn't found in living for himself and serving himself. His success was, was the cross. His success was in laying down his life. He was able to give life. You think about that. The path that Jesus took, at any point in the way, he, he could have just said, nah, forget this. This is, this is too much. But what was accomplished when he gave up everything? He gave up his only life. We're not even talking about all the, just his life of service to the poor and caring for and healing the sick in loving those who are in love. We need even just setting all that aside. His ultimate sacrifice in giving his life achieved redemption for all who would believe. Imagine what all of us would have said and what probably so many said that day, that Friday, as they're looking up at the cross as Jesus breathed his last. What a waste. Think how much good he could have done if he would have not just kept running his mouth and just kept walking around healing people and loving people and being gracious to people. And we all would look around and say, what an amazing life. What a great life. What an impactful life. But it wasn't the life that the Father had called him to. And disobedience to that would mean that you and I today, 2,000 years later, are still in our sins. We're reminded that a life given over to Jesus can have immeasurable consequences. It may seem like holding on to my life, I've got a really good job and I make a lot of money and I can do some good things here, some really good things. And I'm comfortable, my family lives nearby and my kids are in a good school. It seems good, but if Jesus is calling you and following him, for your life to look differently, if he's calling you to release that, maybe take your, 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 yourself somewhere where the schools aren't safe, where you're making less money, but you know that Jesus has called you to that life. You cannot fathom the impact of obedience and the joy of following him. The question becomes, 
Am I, more, am, I, am I simply interested in Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus? Am I willing to forsake all or am I just a casual observer interested in some of his teachings here and there? Jesus didn't leave us a place for a middle ground. He said, come follow me. And here's his promise. It will save our lives. We'll gain the world. Let me close with this quote I read back when I was a teenager in a book called True Discipleship. This, this is written by an atheist. And he said this, If I firmly believed, as millions say they do, the knowledge and practice of faith in Jesus Christ in this life influences destiny in another, then that faith would mean to me everything. I would cast away earthly enjoyments as dross, earthly cares as folly, earthly thoughts and feelings as, as vanity. Faith would be my first waking thought and my last image before sleep sank me into unconsciousness. I would labor in its cause alone. I would take thought for the, the I, I would take the I would take thought for the morrow of eternity only. I would, I would esteem every soul gained for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences would never stay my hand or seal my lips. Earth, its joys, its griefs would occupy no moment of my thoughts. I would strive to look on eternity alone and on the immortal souls around me, soon to be everlastingly happy or everlastingly miserable. I would go forth to the word, to the world. And I would preach to it in season and out of season. And my text would be this. What would it profit a man if he should gain the whole world but lose his own soul? My brothers and sisters, thinking this way, hearing the words of Jesus and being willing to surrender to them only comes when Jesus is supremely valuable to us. If having my life comfortable, having a, 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 the bank account that I want, having the, the, the connections and family and or the status that I want, if all those things are really important to me, Jesus is not going to be beautiful and therefore not worth pursuing, not worth this kind of crazy sacrifice. But, however, if Jesus to us is supremely valuable, if, if, if we see him for who he is and his love for us, these sacrifices will be nothing for this temporary 10, 15, 30, 40, 50 years that we have on this earth for the sake of eternity, for the sake of glorifying God throughout eternity and the joy of being in His presence. My brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today to, and this week to, to sit with the words of Jesus and listen and spend time in prayer. And, and, if, and if you want to just Linger here after the service. I mean, there's going to be people up here that would love to pray with you. But even right where you are, to just spend time praying, God, I, I want this to be my heart. I, I want to follow you no matter what you call me to. And to listen and be willing to follow that call. We can't imagine the joy that would ensue. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we hear the words of Jesus, 
We're not hearing a, an angry, angry God saying, do better. Stop loving that worthless stuff and do better. But we would hear the heart of a loving Savior who has our very best in mind, saying, if you will turn away from what you want, if you will turn away from the, what the world tells you is important, and you'll follow me, you'll enter into everlasting joy. I pray, God, that you would, you would quiet our hearts to hear what you're saying to us. Father, for some of us this morning, you're calling us to maybe to, to stay in the same occupation and, and stay in the same community. But you're calling us to think in a new way about our, our time and our stuff and whether we're using it all for your honor and glory. But I have no doubt that there's some of us here this morning to whom your spirit is speaking and, and you've called us to radically reorient our lives in this pursuit of Jesus Christ and following after a Savior who's greater than any treasure that we could ever imagine. But eternal joy and happiness is ours as we follow in obedience. Oh God, Give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to us through these words this morning. And may we not turn away. May we not brush off what you're saying to us. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for a Savior who is infinitely beautiful. I pray, God, that, that you would stir our hearts and give us eyes to see that beauty so that we would treasure Jesus above all. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe and as you follow, as you forsake, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In all these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you this week as you follow him.